but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Verse 22, Revelation 21. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine, to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it." So two major subject matters here. First, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, this is all quite fascinating because we're used to thinking of the word temple as a building. If this is in fact a natural city or some some version of a city, uh, one of the things we would expect to find in it is a temple. Why? All ancient cities were built around the deity who was worshipped in that city. And in fact, the word city here is predictably the word polis, P-O-L-I-S, polis. It's a Greek word because it meant something quite particular. We get the word politics, even the word people, from it, and city and citizen are the same root, P-O-L-I-S, polis, politics, policy, police, people. Because in the ancient world, a citizen of a city was not an individual as such. People did not have the the notion of individual distinctiveness because one's life and livelihood depended upon and was protected by the city of which they were a citizen. So citizenship meant belonging to a city as opposed to individuals with rights and duties and liberties as we now think of citizenship. For example, in America, everybody wants to assert their individual rights above everything else. And even if it destroys the fabric of the society, individuals insist on their own liberty, that 
they and they alone matter. And so we have this process uh, in our jurisprudence and in our politics that's rooted in uh, securing individual liberties. This is a new phenomenon, a new development in human history. Typically, you were part of a city. Now that city, the, the most basic and foundational thing about that city and therefore about your identity was who was the patron god of that city. Uh, in the book of Acts, we know Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, had as the patron god Diana, the Greek goddess known as, whose name was Diana. And uh, we remembered Paul being shouted down by an angry crowd and the shout was, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Cities such as Corinth, major cities like Corinth had their own deities um, and in fact in one of our exposures to this concept in literature is uh, in the fight in the war between the Greeks and the Trojans uh, we saw Homer the poet uh, referencing the various um, interventions in the war by, by the deities over that people group, over those two people groups. So ancient cities, the central building in ancient cities was the temple, it was a temple in the city of Didyma, um, in present-day Turkey, uh, the, the massive columns of marble were once the temple of the twins, uh, Diana and um, uh, I cannot recall exactly the but it's called didyma because the Greek term for twins was the term uh, didyma. And, and the city itself, Apollo and Diana, uh, the, these twin gods were the patrons of the city of didyma. Today didyma is, uh, but for those ruins, is a, is a, a, a town of little consequence, but back in the day it was the site of pilgrimages uh, from, for people all over the Mediterranean world who were devotees of Apollo and Diana. The point is, it's inconceivable that there would be a city without a temple to the gods. And John is, is keenly aware of that fact when he writes, and of course the Holy Spirit is giving him the matter to write, but I saw no temple in it. This is more or less 
a personal observation by the writer and he explains why. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, which is to say that it is the presence of God more than any kind of structure that you may go to to quote-unquote worship God. So worship then is a different thing, isn't it? You don't go up to, like even the Jews could, to the temple in Jerusalem. You don't go up to, this is New Jerusalem without a temple. Imagine the folly of trying to rebuild a temple and the misguided notion, uh, all the teachings on, uh, on various and sundry religious channels, all the excitement that some have about rebuilding the temple. It's, it's um, if you don't know, if you don't understand the scriptures, all these farcical um, notions will stir up people to do things that have absolutely no value to God. No temple means the worship of God is different than anything we think of of going to and doing something in unison. I mean, if there is no temple, how do you worship? Any modern day church, even a storefront church or a mega church, one of their primary objectives is to create a temple. Now they will say it's quote-unquote a house of worship, it's where you go to worship God. There are few who are crass enough to say this is the church, few. But even though they don't say that, they have names like sanctuaries and um, worship centers and, and such. And they mean for you to respect the edifice as your meeting place with God. Now yes, there was a temple in the Old Testament, but it, was, it has been destroyed for 2,000 years. Why was it destroyed? The Romans destroyed it. Jesus prophesied the thoroughness of its destruction when He said, and there shall not be left here, you see this temple and all the buildings? There shall not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And you know what? There was not left one stone upon another that wasn't thrown down. But misguided Christians are being encouraged to, and, and there's a kind of zeal being stirred up to rebuild the temple. This is not anything God is doing. 
when he destroyed that temple, it was because a new temple had been raised up. It was raised up in three days. The Lord himself said that. You remember? He said, destroy, destroy this temple and I'll build it again in three days. What is he talking about? Because that's the time it took for him to be resurrected, to be crucified and resurrected from the dead. When he was raised up, every notion of God housed in a temple died with him. And what was raised up is the living God dwelling in a temple he made for himself. And it's not a temple made with hands. And that has been the constant until this final representation when in the city there is conspicuous absence of a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple as they would have been for the last 2,000 years or should have. In COVID, in in the era of COVID-19, church buildings were shut down. Many of them were on the verge of shutting down to begin with, especially in groups like the Roman Catholic Church where church buildings are being shuttered because of two things. Number one, the loss of membership and, and, uh, and income. And number two, the massive expense that this institution has had to, has incurred in settling claims of its pedophile agents who the matter speaks for itself. But I have heard so many preachers lamenting the fact that buildings have been shut down. Now, do you think that God had anything at all to do with COVID? At a minimum, wouldn't you suppose he could have prevented it? And by that, prevented the shutting down, the shuttering of so many quote-unquote houses of worship. It is my contention that whenever there are significant tragedies of this kind, that God is not absent from the picture, that He's doing something. And if a church is actually responsive to God, it will inquire of the Lord what it is is that He's doing. But if we simply reboot and continue on in the same manner, then we can be described as seeing and not seeing, hearing and not hearing, neither understanding. God is meaning for a people to draw near to Him. If temples as they now exist 
have been so critically important and so intimately connected to the worship of Christ and of God, why then is there none in the new city? He clearly has permitted the existence of this type and shadow. But the further we move toward the coming of a new epoch, the closer the characteristics of that age will be will will position us to enter into the new order of things and the further away it will take us from where things were when the epoch began. So when the epoch began, the early church met in the temple and they also met from house to house. We can expect that as the age has progressed, there will be less and less emphasis on any kind of temple, more and more emphasis on the meetings together in homes, and ultimately the complete doing away with any need for anything resembling a temple. Why? Because what is progressing is a relationship with God, where worship and rest and a relationship with God become a way of life. Now, in order for that to have traction, it has to become a family. And ultimately, families make up a nation. What happens when an entire nation has the same mindset? How would a nation worship in a single temple? There wouldn't be one big enough. The mindset, you see, is what God is moving us toward. And Paul told us that. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ. And he describes this mindset in action as one who puts off the primacy of his own needs and interests and takes on the representation of another. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ who, being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself to death on a cross and because of that God raised him from the dead, having highly exalted him, given him a name above all other names, so that the name of Jesus you worship, every knee bows, that's worship, every tongue confesses, that's worship, 
that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. His worship is supposed to be the glorifying of God. When your life takes on the characteristics of that, that mirror what Jesus did, of servant obedience, humility and obedience to the Lordship of Christ as directed by the Holy Spirit, you are already in a state of worshiping God in the temple of your own being because He is Lord over you and a collection of you of the same, collection of persons of the same mindset worship and adore God as a way of life. You know, one of the things that I have observed over the years is that people who go to church on Sundays, on Mondays they're rarely ever different from people who don't go to church at all. I directed some years ago, many years ago, many decades ago, I directed a legal aid program and people came to ask for various forms of legal help. And one of our, on our intake form, one of the questions was, um, do you go to church? And if so, check this box. And there was a place for you to write in what the church was. The vast majority of people who came to see us for legal problems ranging from domestic issues, divorce, child custody, support, etc., to um, other, other civil matters, um, their statistics, the statistics of what concerned Christians, church-going folk, the statistics of their, of their legal needs and legal problems that they had of every kind including divorce indicated that there was no material difference in what they were requesting legal help for and how the population in general of unsaved people were. Now we did not do criminal law, so that's not a comment on criminal behavior. But in terms of civil behavior, church had the same problems as the world. The point is, they asked for divorce at the same rates that the world did. They had domestic issues at the same volume as the rest of the world. What I'm saying is, for years I have observed that church-going people do not necessarily have any difference in their way of life domestically than the rest of the world. So going to church can't be what God had in mind. But a changed life, a life that is dominated by the mind of Christ, that's what God has in mind. 
here is what it says about worship. And, it, and because we think of a temple for the point and purpose of worship, here's what it says, Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you shall be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. As far as I know, church makes very little difference. Going to church makes very little difference in the lives of people when it really comes down to living. What would make a difference? What would make a difference is if people were actually discipled. Discipled. Meaning, having a father who trained sons to grow up into maturity. That's more like a family. Indeed, that is a family, a spiritual family. The head of which family is Christ. The whole family of God, Ephesians 2.19, in heaven and earth are called by His name. Do you not understand that's why the name of Father is written on their foreheads, while for others the number or name or mark of the beast is written on their foreheads. Nothing about a tattoo or engraving or chip or any of that nonsense. It's about a mindset, a mindset. When we have a different mindset, that is focused on the attitude and character of the Father, so much so that we are properly defined as the body of Christ, meaning Christ is the head, we are the body, then the body will do the work of Christ. That is worship in its quintessence. When you give up the right to an independent way of life, independent of Christ, and you submit to the Lordship and rule of Christ, then He is the God you're worshiping. Persons such as that, here's what it says about them, verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because the Lamb's book of life represents the genealogy of those who are assembled to Christ and are members of the body of Christ. Here, worship and a temple and lordship all are toward one, one end.
everyone involved has been transformed utterly into the nature and character of God as manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God is selecting from the earth. If you know what the end of the matter is and you're able to identify where you are in the progression of time toward the end of the matter, you'll better be able to understand what God is doing when He does it. And the switch is on. I mean, even secular poles are writing about this. The switch is on from going to church. 42% I read from 10 years ago, people who used to go to church don't go anymore. And churches are thoroughly divided internally over political candidates and political philosophies. Churches have become, Paul would say about it this way if he were writing to the present church, he says, your meetings do more harm than good because you despise the body of Christ in that some are drunk, others are hungry, you have no view of the corpus of Christ. That's the present state of the church, whether you like it or not. But God is causing it to come into, God has removed any restraint from what was in it and has been definitive of it, of church. God is removing the restraint so it's becoming visible as it is. No lamentation there because these temples are all passing away and they're giving way to a way of life in which the exaltation of Christ is more than song, more than music and song. It becomes a way of life in which He appears as Himself, clothed upon by our persons. Christ is meant to inhabit lives, but lives that are submitted to Him, so much so that when He who is our life appears, inasmuch as we are clothed with Him, we appear with Him in the glory of His appearance. This is what worship is and for that there is no need for any kind of temple because it's a way of life. A way of life arranged behind gates, securely founded and defined by the wall of twelve foundations. It's what it comes to mean when it's all said and done. Now next we'll talk about the light, the light of this city. God said, let there be light. What does that mean as fully manifested in this city? I'm Sam Solon. I hope you'll stick around and we'll study that too. I'll see you then. Bye for now.